Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. Grab a Bible and turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we're going to look at Paul's words from Ephesians 5 and the encouragement that he has given to us, but we're going to kind of continue um, discussing the shame that we talked about last week. Uh, I felt that we were moving past that, and I felt there was something else that we were going to talk about today, but the Lord stirred in my heart this past week, we've got to go back and we have to revisit that, because I think that there's more that the Spirit wants to say to us as a church. But I want to take you back, and I want to remind you, because we've been discussing these for a number of months now, the dreams that God has revealed that he has for us as a ministry. And there are six specific things that the Lord has declared that he has dreamed for this place. Not, these, these aren't new dreams. This isn't something that just came about in 2021. As the Lord revealed these, if we were to take a look back at the 89 years that this ministry has been in existence, you can see that these have been the Lord's dreams throughout the existence of Whitechapel Church. And so our first dream is the dream, or his first, his first dream for us is the dream of unity. And I've got an old slide in here. I'll have to update that. Adrian, would you remind me of that? Uh, unity. And this unity is for us to be modeled here, and then we get to do it in the community. The second dream, when the Lord showed this one to me, I thought it was a dream for uh, Warner Christian Academy. But the Lord, as I pressed in and listened more, uh, and, and I heard what he was really saying, uh, it, number two is not a dream for Warner Christian Academy that I originally put on this slide. This is a dream for Whitechapel, us sending out a multitude of leaders, not just a thousand, and this dream is over and done with, but thousand being a symbolic number of a multitude of leaders. Not that they would stay here and we would hoard the resources here of leaders, but that we raise up godly leaders that reflect the image of Christ, and then they are sent out into the world. And we'll be discussing over the next several weeks the word reflect and why that is important for us, but we've got to press in more on this issue of shame here today. The third is the breaking of chains of bondage and deliverance, and every time I talk about this one, uh, I encourage you, drive around this community. Drive around uh, Holly Hill, Daytona, South Daytona, Port Orange. You, you can just keep driving, and not just up and down Ridgewood. Go west. You can drive all around this community, and you can see the bondage and the deliverance that is needed in this community. And hear me. We get to experience that as followers of Jesus Christ, and we can't be selfish with it. It's for this community. And this is a dream that God has for this community, and we've got to get it out of these walls and into this community so that they can discover the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ, and so they would be able to sing, it's your breath, God, in my lungs. 
The fourth dream is a center for meeting the community needs. Uh, We do that in a variety of different ways. We'll be sharing more about that in the future. The fifth is a powerhouse of worship. And I'm thankful for our worship team led by Pastor Jordan that leads us to the throne of God in worship. And they all do an amazing job. And the sixth is a powerhouse of prayer. So these are God's dreams for us. And as I spend time with the Lord and as I pray over these, the Lord shows bits and pieces. And so I just encourage you to be able to sit with the Lord and ask the Lord, how do I fit into these dreams at Whitechapel Church? Because I assure you, you do. So as I was praying um, through this week, uh, and the Lord stirred me to go back and take a look at shame again, and so let's walk through that again. One of the things that the Lord showed me, specifically about a dream, one of the dreams that he has for us, is if we want this community to be delivered from the bondage that the enemy puts onto us, then we have to fully, and that's the key word, fully experience that here at Whitechapel Church. We can't say to the community that you can be delivered from the bondage of the enemy and the the, the chains that the enemy places on you and then still be bound by things that that the enemy wants to throw at us. You're either free or you're not free. You can't be free in Christ and still have a chain of the enemy attached to you. It's an either or. And so if we look at a piece of paper, it's either black or it's white. There is no gray in this freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. You're either free or you're not free. And so if we want the community to experience freedom from sin, and if we want the community to experience freedom from the bondage that the enemy places on them, then we've got to lead the way for that. Because if we're walking in bondage and shame from the enemy has been attached to us and we are paralyzed at times by that shame, then when this community looks at us and they're looking for answers and when they are searching for answers and they come across our path and we're talking about freedom in Christ, if we're not truly free, they're not going to want the bondage that we're still hanging on to. Does that make sense? We've got to ensure that we are free so that this community can follow the path that we have made leading to Jesus, the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. But I want to take you back. Uh, several of you will remember this. Uh, this is President Truman. A number of years ago, President Truman uh, was in the White House. If you look in the bottom right corner of his desk, You've probably seen this, and even if you weren't alive like me when President Truman was the president, uh, you've, you've heard about this sign that he kept on his desk. This sign says, the buck stops here. At this time, whenever President Truman had entered into the White House, they were having a lot of problems with federal agencies. Kind of sounds like today in 2021, right? Federal agency after federal agency was passing the buck to somebody else. People would try to work with the federal agencies, the government, and sometimes they would get nowhere unless you had some type of favoritism or you knew somebody or you were able to get in through somebody else. 
So one of the things that President Truman did is he got this sign, it was gifted to him, he put it on his desk, and whenever a decision had to be made, instead of saying, well, we're going to get from this government agency to that government agency, and we're going to figure out what can be done, President Truman led by saying, the buck stops here, and we're making a decision right here and right now. And I think what Paul is writing to us about our deliverance and who we are in Christ in Ephesians chapter 5 is he's asking us to simply say, hey, the buck in my relationship with Jesus Christ stops with me. I'm not going to give excuse after excuse for me being the way that I am, or I'm not going to say, well, I do this because of this. And what Paul is saying is, listen, we need to get to the point and place a spiritual sign on our heart that says, the buck stops with me, and I'm not going to take blame, or I'm not going to lay blame on somebody else. But what we see in our world today is a lot of finger pointing and a lot of blame, not only in government entities, but also in our, in, in our society, and that has even bled over into the church. And so then what happens, as the enemy begins to work inside of us, and we start laying the blame at other people, the shame that the enemy uses seeps into our life. And then we get crippled by shame because we're saying, well, I'm the way that I am because my mom or my dad was that way. Or I'm the way that I am because, well, that's just all I've ever known in my life. I'm the way that I am because of this, or I'm because of that. All you have to do is turn on the evening news, and you can see it. Well, I am this because of this, and so I'm upset that I'm this way, and it's all your fault. What we get out of that is this entitlement mentality that you owe me because of you, or you owe me because of this. And I, I don't want to get into all of that other than to say that this is a tool of the enemy. And a part of this is shame, where the enemy brings it into our life. And all I'm saying is we, as followers of Jesus Christ, have to break that chain and say, the buck stops with me. And I am going to be exactly who God wants me to be, despite what anybody else has done to me. And I'm going to make sure that I am taking my identity from Jesus Christ alone instead of who those around want to define me as. We even see that there are so many people that are saying, well, I've got to have my rights. I've got to have this because you've done this. I'm going to focus on my rights. It's my rights. It's all about me. And this is about me. And I'm going to do everything for me, for me, for me. And so we've got criminal rights. We've got computer rights. There's animal rights, children's rights, victim's rights, abortion's rights, abortion rights, housing rights, privacy rights, gun rights. We go on and on and on with all of these rights. And we even put it in the preamble of our Constitution that we are all endowed with certain unalienable rights. Now, let me say this. Having a right is not wrong. It's not wrong. And I am thankful that we live in this country where we have a lot of rights. And I thank God that there have been men and women who were willing to give their life to stand up for our rights. However, however, we 
cannot focus on the rights without the rest of that phrase that was given to us in the Constitution. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Do you see what our forefathers did there? They put the two together. They didn't separate the rights from the creator. The rights always went with the creator. But in this world of me, 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 me that we've got now, we have separated the creator from the rights and we've said it's all about me and it's all about my rights. No, 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 no. Our forefathers said that your creator gave you those rights. And hear me, you will never reach your full potential and who God planned for you to be if you separate your creator from those rights. So what we have to do is we have to make sure that we don't take on this victim mentality by saying, well, it's not my fault of who I am. I've got all of these rights and I'm going to live in all of these rights. We have to say, despite what's happened to me and despite what others tried to define me, I am going to be who God wants me to be and I'm not going to blame somebody else. So how did I get to this place? from going from shame last week and what the Lord wants to say to us and making sure that we're free from this bondage of, of shame and we're not focusing on me, me, me and my rights. The Lord stirred in me. We'll get to Ephesians 5 here in just a second. The Lord stirred in me. Go back to the book of Genesis and discover what was really happening in the book of Genesis. For a couple of weeks now, we've talked about Adam and Eve playing the first hide-and-seek game with God. They were living in relationship with God. They were not ashamed, the end of Genesis chapter 2 tells us. The very last verse says, there was no shame. Genesis chapter 3 happens. They sin. They hide from God. They're hiding in their shame. Well, what was going on in that moment? This is, this is where the Lord pushed me. What was going on after sin entered into the Garden of Eden... God discovers where Adam and Eve are hiding at. What was that conversation? God comes to the woman in Genesis chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. It's Eve. He comes to her and he said, Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God's beginning this conversation back with Eve. And this is what the man said. The man, Adam, says back to God, The woman that you put here... You see where Adam's placing the blame? Now, he's pretty brave there. I don't know that I would quite say it just like that. But the first conversation that Adam has after, after sin, after his sin, what's he doing? He's blaming somebody else. Do you see what shame causes us to do? Shame always causes us to shift the blame to somebody else. He said, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Well, what did God say? God did not say, how did this come about? God simply said, have you, Adam, eaten from the tree? And he's blaming God and he's blaming the woman. Well, what did Eve say? If we were to go forward another verse, the Lord said to the woman, 
What is this that you have done? God can't get it out of Adam. Adam's trying to blame God, the woman that you put here, and then he's blaming the woman. So God says, all right, I'm going to find out what's going on with Eve. The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Do you see the shame that has forced them to shift the blame to somebody else? Hear me, you will never be free in Christ when you're shifting the blame to somebody else. You cannot blame somebody else for your sin. You have to accept responsibility and say, I failed. Because whenever we are hiding in our shame, there's always somebody else that we want to point the finger at. And what we have to do is put a spiritual sign on our hearts that says, the buck stops with me. The enemy may have lured me. The enemy may have tempted me. Somebody else may have given something to me. But I'm the one that made the decision. And therefore, all of the consequences fall on me. Because whenever we stand before Christ and whenever we are there at the judgment seat, we will never be blamed for what somebody else did to tempt us. We will only be blamed and held accountable for our own actions. But shame causes us to hide lost and undone in our sin and always point the finger somewhere else. If any of you have ever had kids, you've experienced this, right? It's always the other child's fault. Well, little Johnny said that I did, and if I did, and if you've ever been a teacher, you've experienced this in a big, big way, because it's never the student's fault. It's never the child's fault. Well, they did this, and because they did that, then I did this. Instead of focusing on their own behavior, instead of taking a responsibility for their own actions, always first it comes out, well, they did, so I did. And you know what this is? This is living out Genesis 3, the conversation that God had with Adam and Eve over and over and over. Why? Because of shame that the enemy brings into our lives. This is how the, this is how the, the, the enemy has always worked is he wants us to hide in our darkness. And he wants us to get so caught up in our darkness that we're pointing the finger at somebody else because they turned out the lights. When the truth of the matter is, when somebody else turns out the light, we have the option of staying in the... When someone else turns out the light and pushes us into darkness, and we choose to remain in that darkness, we've got another option, and that is to step out of the darkness. We can choose darkness or light, but the choice is always up to us, and we have to recognize the shame the enemy brings into our life that cripples us from moving out of the darkness and into his light. I experience this every time I try to go wake up Lucy in the mornings. Lucy has got a room that on one side of her room, um, it's... it's um, two sliding glass doors. She's got a little, she has upstairs and she's got a little balcony out there. And so she doesn't have a window in her room. She's just got these two sliding glass doors and it's got these amazing shades, uh, uh, blinds across them and they block out the sun completely. And when you go into Lucy's room, it is dark. I mean, it is pitch dark. And I love waking her up by turning on the light. 
And you would have think, you would have thought that every time I do that, I'm getting a stick and prodding a big bear. Turn out the light is what I hear. And I don't, I don't even turn on the big light. Uh, I turn on, she's got a little, uh, a little um, lamp that's on her, that's on her uh, headboard. I turn that on. It's maybe, maybe a 20-watt bulb, but it lights up that room. But the thing in this is she wants to stay in the darkness instead of coming into the light that the rest of the world is already in. Well, that's exactly how we are. Whenever the enemy is luring us in shame and God is calling us out of that shame to, for us to take responsibility for how, what got us into the shame to begin with. Whenever the enemy has got a hold on us and there's any light when we're hiding in shame, we're just like Lucy when, when I go to wake her up. Oh, turn off the light. Just let me be. I'll get up on my own terms. If you'll turn off the light, I'll get out of bed. But the truth of the matter is, she doesn't get out of bed. And so it takes another trip of turning on the light. And I eventually leave the light on until she's got to get up out of bed and turn the light off all on her own. And then she's out of bed. Well, that's how we are spiritually. The enemy's got a hold on us. He's, bi he's bound us by shame. He's got us wrapped up in blaming somebody else. And we've got to break that chain of shame and break that bondage for the enemy and start living as Jesus' people, free from the chain of shame and sin in and of itself. So in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is really writing about this. And he's instructing a church in how they should be living. In verse 8, Paul says... For you were once darkness. So Paul is beginning this little section here by saying this is the past. And he is clear to distinguish between the two. The past was darkness. And then there's this amazing word right there that says but. But now you are light in the Lord Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. That's why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Christ Jesus. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul has given us two options on how we should live here. He said you can either live as wise or you can live as a fool, unwise. 
So the choice is up to you. It's either light or darkness. The choice is up to us. But we have to be the ones to make the decision to get out of the darkness and to not be foolish and instead walk in his marvelous light or walk as wise people. As wise, we walk in listening to God, experiencing his presence, always communing with him, discovering what it is that he wants us to do. As fools, we don't take responsibility. We're always pointing the blame to other people. We're hidden in darkness and we're bound by the chains of sin or at least the shame of the sin that is in all of our lives. But God has placed us here for a purpose. And that purpose is to get out of the darkness that that, that sin brought into the world Not accusing and pointing fingers somewhere else, but instead in glorifying him. And the way that Paul actually began Ephesians chapter 5, he said in verse 1, be imitators of God. I love those few words there. Be imitators of God. Listen, you can't be an imitator of God when you're hiding in darkness and shame. Because it's the darkness and shame that always points the finger somewhere else. If you want to be an imitator of God, you've got to get out of the darkness into the light, breaking that chain of sin or shame and living as an imitator of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 14, verse verse 12, it says, So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Paul in Ephesians 5 is saying, you've got two choices when you're giving an account. Is it darkness or is it light? Is it not an imitator of God or is it as an imitator of God? We are going to have to give an account of that. Nobody else gives an account of that for us. It is only us. And so we have to remember that we are responsible for our own actions and our own lives. And we are the only ones that can reflect the image of Christ for ourselves. Nobody can do that work for us. It is strictly up to us. So how is it? How is it that we can get to the place to where we are reflecting the image of Christ, that we are not bound by shame, and we are not living the way that Adam and Eve were, constantly pointing the finger somewhere else? I hate it when I give sermons that have three points, but that's what you get today. Um, I try not to do it. I try to weave it in there, but today... As I was working through this and journaling this out, I came up with three things. This is the first thing that I think you need to know. We need each other. God made us for each other. What was happening in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve turned on each other. They they turned on each other because of sin and because of the shame. They turned on each other. They forgot that they were created for each other. Hear me. Listen. God created us for each other. We need each other. I need you. You need all of those around us. Those of us that are in here need those that are watching online. Those that are watching online need those in here. The one thing that I... that. 
I hate, but you have to be cautious about coronavirus, is I feel like sometimes the enemy has segmented us and separated us. We have to be wise, not live foolish. We have to be smart, but we have to remember despite what's going on, God still created us for each other. We have to be together. As God created Adam and Eve for each other, the offspring continued that all the way down to us here in 2021. The work of the enemy will always separate us and divide us. But we have to remember that we have to have each other. Why? Because we are able to say to each other in a loving way as children of God, with him as our father, hey, we've got to make sure that we're not pointing the blame somewhere else. And we've got to make sure that we're taking responsibility for our own actions. And then when one of us get caught up in our shame, we can help pull the other out of the shame and say, I'm not going to let you live down there. I'm not going to let the work of the enemy keep you pushed down in shame. I'm going to pull you up to where God wants you to be. We need each other. There's so many verses in the Bible about each other's. We could go for weeks and weeks and weeks about all of the each others. John 13, love one another. Galatians 5, serve one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, be kind to one another. Have fellowship with one another. Offer hospitality to one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Carry one another's burdens. Encourage one another. We could go on and on and on and on with all of these verses. But the truth of the matter is, is God created us for each other. We need each other. If we want to live free from the bondage of sin and shame, we have to have each other. Because when the enemy gets alone with us, sometimes you need the strength of somebody else to pull you away from that darkness that he wants to bring you into our lives. And that's why I am so thankful that Pastor Morgan and Kelly Ray have started a Celebrate Recovery ministry here at Whitechapel Church. Because that ministry is a group of people that get together on Friday nights at 6 o'clock in the Berkwest Chapel, and they say, we're not going to let you live in the shame the enemy wants to bring into your lives. We are going to be here for each other, linked arm in arm. And so if the enemy has got you bound by shame, and if the enemy keeps pushing you deeper and deeper in that, or the enemy is chasing you and bringing a temptation of sin that is so strong you need somebody else because you keep failing and you keep getting drawn right back to where you want to get over of, then I encourage you to be a part of our Celebrate Recovery ministry on Friday night at 6 o'clock. Because we need each other. So not only do we need each other, but the other thing is, we have to remember that we have responsibility to control our reactions. That's on us. Sometimes our faces tell on us. Sometimes our words tell on us. We've got to be the ones to control our reaction. And this is where social media has really torn apart uh, and separated the church into, into, into different divisions, into different segments. Because we've not learned how to properly control our reactions. What Paul is writing about in Ephesians 5 is saying to a church without social media, you've got to control your reactions. I wonder what Paul would write to us about our social media posts today. I wonder what Paul would say to us today. I think he would say, you've got to control your reactions. And just because you think it doesn't mean you have to type it. 
we've got to learn to control our reactions. We see all of this over and over and over, and we think, well, there's all of this stuff going on, and this isn't right, and this isn't right. Well, you probably aren't the one to make it wrong to begin with, so why do you think you've got to be the one to make it right just by what you post and what your reaction is? Listen, we can't control our events. We cannot control our circumstances, and we cannot control the tragedies that happen or the wrong in this world, but we can control our reaction. And if we want to be free from shame and sin, then we've got to live out Ephesians 5.1 that says, reflect the image of Christ or be an imitator of God. And by spewing hateful, mean things, you're not reflecting the image of Christ. And that's going to draw you deeper in shame and lure you into the sin. And then you're going to get to the place, it may, it may be years, it may be years in the making, but you'll get to the place you wonder, how in the world did I get here? And where it started is when you didn't control your reaction. And when you don't control your reaction, the enemy starts to use that to separate you from other people because you've divided yourself into this camp. And nobody who disagrees with me can come into my camp. Now, it's not wrong to stand up and speak truth. It's not wrong to make sure that we are always, always, always speaking truth. It's not wrong to seek justice. It is wrong. It is wrong when our reaction is not imitating Christ. We've got to make sure, we've got to make sure that we control our reactions the best key on your keyboard is the delete button. That's the best key. We've got to control our reactions, and we have to make sure that we understand that we need each other. Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Just because you think it doesn't mean you have to say it. We need each other, we have to control our reactions, and we have to put away childish things and discover God's will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. We've got to grow up. That's simply what we have to do. I wish that our country was a country of mature adults. But instead, because of sin and shame, we have never put away childish things. And when sin and shame creep into the church, it causes us to be childish. And we will never have a world that is free and delivered from sin when we're being childish in the church. We have to put away childish things. And the next piece of that is discover God's will. If you take a look at verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, listen, this is what you have to do. If you want to be free from shame, if you want to be free from sin, this is what you have to do. It's verse 17. He says in verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish. We could say childish there. Sometimes when we're childish as an adult, that's being foolish. But the next piece of that is key. And this is the only way that we will be imitators of God. And at the end of that, he says, but understand what the Lord's will is. 
Paul is giving us an equation for our lives that is vital to living in 2021. We have to put away childish things and discover God's will. How many times have you ever sat with the Lord and said, God, what is your will for me? What is it that you want for me right now? Where is it that you want me to fix my mind? Or do we just go about the day trying to do our best, be good little Christians, and do everything we can to try to make the world a better place? Listen, God doesn't need you to make the world a better place. He needs you to simply be an imitator of God. Whenever we try to come up with solutions and we leave God out, we mess it up. What God wants us to do is to sit with him and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? What are the next steps that you want me to take? And then only take those steps, not to get ahead of him or not to lag behind him. Instead, God, what is your will? Let's discover your will and let's go forward in your will. We've got to put away childish things and we have to start discovering the will of God. So how is it that we do that? I've shared this with you in the past. Pastor Gary has shared this with you in the past. You've heard this a number of times from this platform. I want to give you this triangle that can help you. And if you don't use this every single day in your life, then I think you're limping through life. This is something that I go to almost every single day in my life. And I ask God, God, I've got to discover your will. There are three points on a triangle. There's us, you down in the lower left-hand corner. There's God over in the right-hand corner. And then there's an assignment at the very top. We all know that an assignment can be anything. At the top of my triangle, I could put my relationship with Melissa. At the top of that triangle, I could put my relationship with Lucy or my relationship with Abby as a husband or as a father. I could put at the top of that, take the word assignment out, and I could put the lead pastor of Whitechapel Church. Whatever assignments or responsibilities we have in life are what we could put at the top of that triangle. And as long as this triangle stays operational, it will help us discover the will of God. Now listen to me, I do not go, let's, let's say that I'm in relationship in this one with Melissa, and I put Melissa, uh, I, Melissa is my wife at the top of this, I don't go to Melissa and ask her what God's will is. Melissa walks with God, she hears God's voice, but it's not Mel- Melissa's responsibility to tell me what God's will is, it's my responsibility. You see, when I'm not taking responsibility for my life and I'm pointing the finger at somebody else, I'm living the way that Adam and Eve were when they were hiding in shame and not being obedient to God, lost in their sin in Genesis chapter 3. You can't get God's will from somebody else and then go try it and when it doesn't work, come back and blame them. You are responsible for discovering God's will. Paul did not, God gives us spiritual leaders that can help us, and there are other people that God will speak into our lives. However, discovering and discerning God's will is a responsibility for all of us. And so I don't go ask Melissa, God, or Melissa, what is God's will in this situation? I instead sit with God and I say, God, what is your will? How how do I put away childish things? And, And what is your will? And so I sit here at the bottom of this triangle. I don't run up to the assignment. I don't run to somebody else. I get just me and God, and I sit there and I say, God, what is your will? 
What is it that you want me to do? What are the steps that you want me to take? So then that way, I'm taking responsibility in my relationship with God. I am owning this relationship that I have with God that he has given to me as a gift, and then I am listening first to him. Absolutely, other people can help us with this process, but it's not anybody else's responsibility than our own selves. Because if we want to put away childish things and we want to discover God's will, if we want to control our reactions, if we want to live as a part of the body of Christ in relationship with each other, then we have to discover God's will and put away all of those childish things. We have to make certain that we take responsibility for discovering God's will. So I want to ask you this morning, How much time do you spend with the Lord? How much time is it just you and Him? You're not worried about the latest Christian book. You're not worried about the the greatest Bible study. You're not worried about the great speakers. You're not worried about all of the resources and this and that or the other that are all great things. I'm just asking right now, how much time do you spend with the Lord? Just you and him. If we were to pass around a piece of paper and if we were to write down how many minutes did you spend with God this week? It'd be interesting to get all that back and add it up. How much is enough time with God? How much is too little time with God? How much time do you need to discover God's will? How much time does it take for you to get to the place to where you're able to put away childish things? How much time do you spend with the Lord? How much time do you sit here at the bottom of this triangle? Just you and him, not worried about your assignments, not worried about your responsibilities, just sitting with him, having a conversation with him. If you want to break free from shame, and if you want to overcome sin in your life, this is where it starts. If you're wondering where your next steps are in life, This is where it starts. If you're concerned about things going on in our country, if you're concerned about the events that are taking place in the world, listen, this is where it starts. If you are upset about something and there's something that just has the hair standing up on the back of your neck or if there's something that you've been battling that you just can't seem to get over with, listen, this is where it starts. And this place is where it starts for you this morning. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.